Well, good morning. <clears throat> Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, if you will. And I have to apologize, uh, as you may be able to tell. I've got a bit of a cold. And uh, my goal is to not pass it on to anybody, if I can help it. Um, Hebrews chapter 12 we are in, if you're a guest today with us, uh, we are in part three of a series called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Uh, the first week we talked about suffering in the 21st century. Last week we talked about a sovereign God and a suffering God. And uh, this week the title of the sermon is Suffering is God's Gymnasium. Suffering is God's Gymnasium. So we want to, we'll be looking into primarily Hebrews chapter 12, um, but let's, if you will, please pray with me before we begin. Lord God, we come to you now in Jesus' name. We come asking for you to do that which we cannot do, and that is give us revelation by your Holy Spirit of your word in such a way that our minds are renewed, that our hearts are changed, that our lives are impacted, that we know you better and we glorify you. Father, you know my weakness on my best day. I'm a weak vessel. Lord, today I'm struggling physically. Lord, thankfully it doesn't depend on me, it depends on you. Pray, do that work in our hearts. Help me to speak as I should. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, I, I often come in to the auditorium here during the week to pray, and often to pray for our Sunday morning time together. So I did this week. Came in here and spent time, and often I'll sing a song or worship, and I'll pray, and I'll pray for our Sunday meeting. And sometimes I'll look around and, and pray for you, and often pray for you, and and I was praying this, this week, and as I was praying, I felt like God gave me a prophetic image. Picture my mind of us kind of like this, looking out of the congregation, and there was smoke rising from the person of each person here. From your, from your person, there was a smoke rising. Some had black smoke rise from them with a noxious, noxious odor that burned the eyes of those around them. Others had a light, sweet-smelling smoke uh, rising from them that I realized was, was actually incense. It lifted the hearts of those nearby. And, and I asked the Lord, what, <laughs> what's this smoke about? Why the difference? And he gave me to understand that the black smoke came from individuals who by unbelief are using their difficulties as opportunities to complain. And the incense came from those who by faith are using their difficulties as opportunities to worship. Smoldering complaints are understandable in the lives of some of us here. Sure, Pastor, I know your life in some ways. You've opened it to me. I'm aware of struggles, some difficult struggles, some long-term struggles, decades-long struggles in some cases. Understandable that there might be a temptation to complain And others, it seems, to have just fallen into a pattern of complaining about even trivial inconveniences. We live in a fallen world, so it's not hard to find something to complain about, something wrong. But to continually focus on the negative is like carrying around this black paintbrush and you're ready to swipe everything and blot out the grace because you're focused on what's not to your preference. In either case, complaining is a symptom of an underlying issue. 
This passage in Hebrews 12 can be transformational. God's Word can blow away the clouds of despair and the complaining that darkens your life. God's Word has the potential to, to transform pouting into praise, complaints about God into confidence in God. It can turn our desire to reject our trials into a willingness to rejoice in them. And I am eager, I'm eager for us to be strengthened and encouraged by God's Word to rightly understand Hebrews 12. And so we want to understand the context. To understand Hebrews 12, we need to understand the context always. And the most immediate context, obviously, is Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, a couple of verses in the beginning of Hebrews 11, set up 11 and 12. So if you're in Hebrews 12, turn over a page to Hebrews 11 and two verses I want to highlight. The first is Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith, if you are a person of faith, it means you have an assurance of something you're hoping for. You don't yet have it, but you're assured of it because God's promised it to you and He's given you faith. And you have a conviction that you live in a world of unseen things that are actually more valuable, more important, more determinative for your life than what you actually see. So faith, Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He is, that He, is, that he exists. And number two, that He rewards those who seek Him. So faith, faith sees the unseen and believes. These two verses set the stage for the rest of the chapter 11 and 12. It is crucial when going through suffering to have assurance that you haven't hoped in Christ in vain. And have conviction that you live in God's unseen kingdom. That you're living for a kingdom that you cannot see. That's faith. That gives you confidence that God will reward you when you draw near to Him even in life's most difficult circumstances. But it gives you the confidence that you can draw near to God and receive a reward even in life's most difficult circumstances. After verse 6, chapter 11 goes on to show what faith looks like through the lives of the Old Testament saints. They are examples for us of those who live by faith and have run the race with endurance, which we'll see in a minute. Chapter 12 calls us to do, run with endurance. So, Hebrews 12, Hebrews chapter 12 then becomes a sort of running coach for us. It shows us how well or poorly we are running, and then how to run with endurance. Or to mix in another metaphor, chapter 12 is our faith doctor. Interestingly, who prescribes suffering as a medicine, as a cure for weak faith. That's a prescription. Suffering is a, is a prescription for curing weak faith. But the great physician redeems suffering in the life of the believer to make it serve as godly discipline, which we'll see is very valuable. And by faith we become stronger and holier through suffering, whether there is suffering that we cause or suffering that we choose. So two main points today. Number one, the suffering we cause. We'll spend most of our time on point number one, but in the end, we'll consider the suffering we choose. So under number one, the suffering we cause, we're going to read Hebrews chapter 12. You can turn back to that. We're going to read a chunk, verses 1 through 17. This is God's Word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him 
who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for the peace without, with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. Heaven and earth will pass away. God's word abides forever. Let's look at verse 11 again. Look at it. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's the action. That's the summation of this whole process that we're interested in. That work of discipline to train us for peaceful fruits of righteousness. Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, explains the root meaning besides behind this word train. I think we have it on the overhead for you. He says it this way. He says, and the Greek word for trained is gymnazdo from which we get our word gymnasium. It means to undergo a regimen of exercises deliberately aimed at strengthening weak parts of the body and further enhancing strong ones. That's what God's about, strengthening weak parts, further enhancing strong ones. So for the believer, the discipline of the Lord is, is God-redeemed suffering. Now, we've been talking about this for several weeks. Suffering can come as a result of natural disasters or the sins of others seemingly for no reason at all, like Job. It's no apparent reason why it should be happening. But the suffering in chapter 12 is our fault. We cause the suffering. We may be suffering due to our act of sin. Um, uh, active uh, uh, due to our active sin, bad decision, we may spend our money, how much we spend on, how much we borrow, who we hang out with, what we eat, how much we eat, where we are chosen to live, bad attitudes, stubbornness, even the football team we root for. Right? Just saying. You, cho you chose it. God may be resisting us because of pride. He Resist the pride, proud, and give grace to the humble. We may be suffering the consequences of those decisions. God is gracious 
to even use the consequences of our bad decisions and sin to train us in the peaceful fruits of righteousness, to gymnasdo, right? To train us in the peaceful fruits of righteousness. If you've messed up something in your life, if your life is not where it should be, take courage. God will bless you through it if you submit to the discipline of the Lord. He will train you in the peaceful fruits of righteousness. Or, God may see sins in your heart that in His mercy He longs to purify. Like I said, God may be resisting pride in your heart. Or He may want to drive out fear and anxiety. Or he may want to break unbelief and self-reliance. Or he may be after a sinful tendency to use anger to control others. Or maybe you're just being judgmental and self-righteous. And so God's looking into your heart. He designed specific circumstances. In our weaker moments, we might call them traps. God lays a trap for it, but, but that's not gracious. He designs these circumstances or puts us in certain relationships to so turn up the heat that our sin begins to manifest, we see it, we repent, and we're changed in that gymnasium of God's suffering into His glory. So God puts us in situations or in relationships to turn up the heat to purify us. So let me solve a mystery for you. If you're married, that's why you're married to your spouse. Not the only reason, but God put your spouse in your life to turn up the heat, to expose your sin. Something they'll do about them gets you, reveals that. Not the only reason, but if you've forgotten that, if you've forgotten that's one of the reasons God puts you together. You may be mad at your spouse right now. You may be hard towards him or her. You may think, he got to change, she got to change, this ain't right. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not accepting this. And, and maybe they do. Maybe they need to change. Okay. But this is your discipline we're talking about, not theirs. God does that. Lifelong partner to reveal our sin to us. <laughs> Thankful. Poor Karen. Or God arranges circumstances where you work. A lot of different things in your life that can come around that God will use specifically to address your sin. Now, I want to share one of those circumstances from my life. You may have heard this story before. If you do, please bear with me. When I graduated from college, graduated from college, I went to my parents' house uh, for, three, for three days. I went there to fast and pray, to seek direction for the Lord. I wanted to be reasonable, so I gave the Lord three options to choose from. Keep it simple for him. You know? Any three is fine. I wanted to go missions, or Christian journalism, or something else that I forget. And so, I've been thinking about these things. Like, yeah, which, it's got to be one of these three. Which one is it? Even so, I was willing to be flexible. Whatever God wanted to do, the only thing I took off the table was working in construction. That was off the table, God. That one's off the table, Lord. Now, I have the utmost respect for the guys in the trades. I think talented men and women, it's a great career, uh, needed area, I, I'm, I'm told. But I had work construction going, going throughout going to high school and college in, in the summers. And I remember one year, one summer, my last day of work before I went back to school, one of the carpenters, he looked and said, man, Sure hope it works out for you at school because you'll, you'll never be a carpenter. <laughs> you'll never make it in this job. And he's right. He's right. So basically, I didn't like construction work because of my pride and laziness. I, I wasn't good at it. It was hard. I didn't want to do it. So i like, God, that's off the table. After praying and fasting for three days, it didn't feel like I was happy with my three options. I didn't have a piece about any of them. So not really anything better to do. My denomination was planning a church in a city uh, nearby. The university was there. I decided to go there. 
and get a job, help support the ministry, and serve as I could until God would tell me what he wanted me to do. So it was in the late 70s. We're going through a recession. There was only one job I could find. Take a wild guess. Yeah, right, construction, right? Working in construction, not what I wanted to do, not, not an option, not an option I wanted. And I was laboring for a mason crew in Florida. We were putting up concrete block houses, kind of one a day. Uh, that'll make a man out of you. Yeah, that was hard, 95 degree weather, hard work. Uh, you know, I eventually got on the line, laying bricks and blocks, but I was every day longing to get out. I wanted to be in the ministry. To me, that was the best thing in the world, and uh, I was pridefully ambitious about it. That's what I wanted to do, and this was just, I was not interested in what I was doing. But finally, I got a break. Karen and I were married. We went to this short-term church planning uh, outreach in Argentina. She'd been there the year before as an evangelist, uh, reaching out. She's fluent in Spanish. We got it. I got invited because of Karen. Karen was a superstar. I just got to carry the bags. But I was in the ministry now, y'all. I was no longer working construction that I didn't like. I'm in the ministry. I get to go out and evangelize, even though I can't speak Spanish at all. Karen was very fruitful. She, was, she actually led to the Lord, the guy who eventually became the pastor of the church. But anyway, we've been there for a couple of days, forget how long, and the leadership of the organization called us together and said, hey, we got great news. We bought this piece of property, and we want to build an auditorium on it out of concrete blocks. Does anybody know anything about laying concrete blocks? I just kind of looked off in the distance, kind of like, <laughs> hmm, I wonder if there is anybody like that. <laughs> Somebody said, wait a minute, Bert, don't, don't you know? <laughs> so, so for the rest of the six weeks down there, I was laying block on this building, and we had a concrete foundation, but it was built on my bitter tears. I was, I wept. I was in misery. Why? Because I was, I had selfish ambition. I saw myself as this superstar ministry guy, and, and not a servant. In the midst of difficult circumstances, seemingly unanswered prayers, we cry out to God, what's going on, Lord? This isn't what I signed up for. God answers, I'm treating you like my son or my daughter. God is prescribing a heavy dose of discipline of the Lord to heal your sin-sick soul. And there are great benefits to this medicine. Let's look at them. Hope you have your Bible open at Hebrews 12. We're going to kind of dash through some of these verses and pick out some of the benefits of this for the Lord. Two we'll start with in verse 1. Let me have a slide for you on this. So, so sin is laid aside and we gain endurance. Verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, the understanding is, if I'm submitting, as we've seen on the rest of chapter 12, if I'm submitting to this for the Lord in faith, then I am being set free from my sin, and I'm gaining that endurance to run the race. That's, that's how we know. If I'm, if I'm in this for the Lord, then I'm seeing sin broken, and endurance is growing. What else? Well, verses 5 and 7, verses 6, I'm being treated as a son or a daughter. And then I had this awareness of God's love. Verse 5 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he, what? He, say it, he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What son is there whom the father does not discipline? So this is kind of in the area of the backhanded compliment. Thanks, Dad. I know you love me because you just disciplined me. But that's what Scripture offers. We can walk through these hard times, even as God's adjusting us and changing us with a sense of God's with me. 
God's changing me. Thank you for suffering with me here. Verse 9, we can, we can be subject to God and live, be subject and live. Verse 9 says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? So if you're submitting joyfully to God's school of discipline, whatever you're going through, seeing God in the midst of that, that is evidence that you are a Christian. And you are living. That's where life grows. Verse 10, it is for our good to share His holiness. Verse 10 says this, for they disciplined us, our fathers, natural fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. So, these hard things we're going through, we hang in there with our hearts in the Lord and trusting Him and regarding them, then God is doing this for our good and we're becoming holy. Verse 11, then we get the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is the benefit of this medicine of discipline we're taking. Verse 11 says, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been gymnasdo, right? Have been trained by it. So, so there's this benefit of this medicine, this fruit, this activity, that when I'm trained by it, I have this peaceful fruit. If you do work out or run, there are the, those times where you feel like, yeah, that was hard, but man, it feels good now. Verse 14 Verse 12, I should say, spiritual strength and holiness. So it's converse here. We say, verse 12 says, therefore, lift your drooping hand and strengthen your weak knees. So that is, that is, if I'm not responding well, but if I am, I can strengthen my hands and my knees. I can have strength and wholeness if I respond rightly to discipline. Verse 14, I can have peace and holiness and I can actually see God. Verse 14 says this, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see God. I'm striving for peace. I'm submitting to God's discipline in my life. Then I have peace, I have holiness, and I can see God. Even in the midst of a very difficult situation, it'll be where God's here. I don't see all my prayers answered. This is hard, but I can see God. And that's encouraging. Do you see yourself in these benefits? Are you, are you reaping these benefits in your life? Do you have that sense of, of increasing victory over sin? That sense of joy, that sense of rejoicing, that holiness, those spiritual strength. Are you, are you, are you seeing that? And if, then if you are, what a joy. You're experiencing the sanctification that we also see in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Let me read that for you. <clears throat> Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained also access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Yes, we're saved. Hallelujah. But not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. Embrace the hard thing. There are benefits. But like most medicines, there are side effects. There are side effects to this medicine of the discipline of the Lord. Side effects of the discipline of the Lord that are not pleasant. So I don't know, when, you, when you're prescribed a medicine, I always try to look at the side effects, be aware of them. Sometimes you go, wait a minute, it feels like this is worse than the thing I'm treating. What, what's going on? And you have to weigh that out, right? 
Sometimes we choose not to. Maybe that's the right thing. Maybe it's not the right thing. In this case, it's not the right thing to avoid taking discipline because you don't like the side effects. Verse 3, we can grow weary and faint-hearted. A lot of times, we're going through the discipline of the Lord, we grow weary, become faint-hearted. And, and, and the cure is in, is in the verse. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So that's what we're supposed to do. But the reality is, most people, when they go through the discipline of the Lord, they do, at times, the side effect happens of weariness and faint-heartedness. In verse 11, a side effect, another side effect is it's painful and not pleasant. Verse 11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a piece of food of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, so if you decide, oh, I don't like the side effects, I don't like to be faint-hearted, I'm going to become disheartened. I don't like this unpleasantness. I'm going to avoid the situation. That's a problem. It's not a good thing. Do you see yourself in these verses, right? Do you see yourself in these verses? Well, if you do, at times, feel weary and faint-hearted and painful, then you're taking the right medicine. Don't give up. God is treating you as his own children. Just like the five-year-old, it's not really discipline unless it's really unpleasant. Don't kid yourself. Got to count. Discipline is unpleasant at times, but by faith it can have excellent benefits. I don't have this quote for you overhead, but J.C. Ryle says it very well. He says, by affliction, God teaches us many precious lessons, which, which without it we should never learn. By affliction, he shows us our emptiness and weakness, draws us to the throne of grace, purifies our affections, weans us from the world, makes us long from heaven. The resurrection morning we shall say, it is good for me that I was afflicted. We shall thank God for every storm. Okay, so that was side effects. What are, what are the symptoms of disregarding the discipline of the Lord or regarding lightly the discipline of the Lord? There are, there are some symptoms that show you're not, you're not benefiting from the discipline of the Lord God's taking you through. So, verse 5, it says, verse 5 one of, the, one of the symptoms is that you are, in fact, regarding lightly, and you're forgetting the exhortation. Verse 5, let's read it again. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So, so if I've forgotten, if I'm just in the middle of the situation, it just sucks. Life sucks. I don't like it. I like this job. I don't like the situation. I don't like this person. I don't like what's going on. I'm just upset. I don't like it. You're down in the middle of it. God's nowhere. You're just unhappy. Well, you have forgotten, and you're regarding lightly this from the Lord. Verses 12 and 13, you can have drooping hands and weak knees. Verse 12, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So if your hands are weak, you don't really want to do anything. You don't want to seek the Lord. You don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to serve at home. You don't want to serve at church. You're just like, ah, I don't want to do anything. You're not really able to walk much in the Lord. You're just kind of in yourself, in your head. Well, it's a sign maybe you're not submitting to the discipline of the Lord. Goes a little, goes a little deeper. Verse 15, you may have a root of bitterness, or you may be causing defilement. 
Verse 15 says, see to it, and this is an exhortation to us as a community for each other, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many have become defiled. So suddenly you're in a situation, or you find yourself in a situation where you're just upset, it's, and it's everybody else's fault. And he did that, and they did this, and I didn't get this, and now you're upset, and he's like that, and you're talking, and you're criticizing, and you're complaining, and you're defiling. Well, it could be a symptom of not submitting to the discipline, regarding lightly the discipline of the Lord. Verse 16, sexual immorality and unholiness, or worldliness. See to it, continuing at verse 15, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. That sexual morality, if that is a struggle in your life, then there's likely something, some discipline you're not submitting yourself to. That, that, that unholiness or worldliness. First John 2.15 says, do not love the world or the things of the world, for whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So if there's that attraction to the world and you're more interested in that than you are in God, there's some discipline that you need to submit to. And lastly, verse 17, hard-heartedness. Hard-heartedness. Verse 17, for you know that afterwards, talking about Esau, when he desired to hear the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, for he, though he sought it with tears. So, so you may remember the story. His brother Jacob tricked him. Esau came in from, from hunting, and he was starving. And Esau made a, a meal. He said, you got to give me your inheritance. He said, okay, what does it matter? I'm going to die. After he gave it, it was gone. He couldn't get it back. How does that apply to us? Well, we can get an area of our life where we're sinning, and we know it's sin, and after a while, we lose our conviction. We know it's sin, but we're still doing it. We know it's sin, but we're still doing it. And we don't really feel that bad. We know we shouldn't. We don't feel that bad about it. And that sense of re- you've lost that desire to repent. Tough place to be. It's a bad place to be. It's a, it's a dangerous place to be. Do you see yourself in these verses? Have you lost track of this sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you feel spiritually weak? No energy to see God or to serve others? Do you struggle with bitterness and temptation to sexual sin and worldliness? Has your heart become hardened so you no longer have a sense of guilt for the sin you know you are committing? If you see yourself in these verses, don't despair. The gospel is just as ready to save you today as it ever has been. Dr. Packer says it this way, we never move on from the gospel, we move on in the gospel. The gospel, every day of our lives, is the power of God and salvation. Go back to verse 1 and look at it. It says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. Jesus died for your sins, not only to forgive your sins, but to deliver you from them. And to, 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, He just and failed to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, you may be stuck, but confess them your sins to God and confess them to someone else. Bring somebody in. Get some help. Humble yourself. Cry out to God for repentance, for that desire to repent. And He will meet you in that. He will meet you in that. Okay, so that was point number one, the suffering we cause. Point number two, the suffering we choose. The suffering we choose. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. We'll get there in a minute. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. We see clearly the Apostle Paul was called to suffer. Acts chapter 9, verse 16, Paul had been on the road to Damascus. He was struck blind. 
Jesus spoke to him. He was led by the hand into the city. Jesus called, spoke to Ananias, a believer, and said, go pray for Saul. And I was like, Lord, wait a minute. Saul's the bad guy. I don't want to. No, go pray for him. And he said in verse 10, he said, for I will show him. Jesus said this to Ananias to tell Paul. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul chose to suffer for the sake of his name. Paul called us to that as well. We see Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where there's just this glorious passage where Paul is counting all loss that he might know Christ and have Christ's righteousness is not his own. And he says, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. So that power to live right, the power to be victorious. But he also says, and they share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the the resurrection from the dead. Paul would say, if it takes it, I'll, I'll be crucified, literally. He chose suffering to be with Christ, to be like Christ. Paul even tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus Christ calls all his disciples to suffer for the gospel. He tells us that if we don't take up our cross daily, we can't be his disciples. But this suffering we choose is a source of great rejoicing and great reward. Matthew 5, 11 and 12, I think we have it for you overhead. Jesus says, it's the Beatitudes, we've studied this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What a joy. What a great reward. That's what we live for. For that reward. Okay. You're in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 14. Let's read it. Peter speaking to a suffering church. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer. It's better to suffer for doing good if, if that should be God's will than for doing evil. What a a glorious suffering we get to choose. We suffer to bring others into God's kingdom. We prepare ourselves to to be able to make a defense to anyone who asks us for the reason the hope within us. So that's, that's, that's work sometimes. That's something we have to prepare for, think about, get ready for, live in that place. There's a certain degree of not doing something else to do that. It's a kind of suffering. We pursue those who are lost without Christ, and we risk rejection from them to form a suffering. We choose, we choose that suffering. We'll, we'll do that. We live our lives openly in, in a good conscience, in obedience to God's word, which will draw rejection and criticism from a world that's rejected God and his ways. Living godly in this society will bring rejection. It'll bring inspection that will not be, not be pleasant. 
So far, so far, well, we still have the First Amendment. We still have protection, God's grace. But we should prepare ourselves for these kinds of sufferings and, 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 and choose them, and choose them. We're not called to seclude ourselves in insulated communities. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. It would be evil to hide the truth of the gospel because of fear. It's much better to share God's love and to suffer. The suffering we choose. Our sister Ellie has chosen to suffer for the gospel by sending a year in Turkey. Oh, I don't, I don't think she thinks about it as suffering very much. I think she's stoked and pumped to go and excited. I think you're going to have an awesome year. I think it's going to be wonderful. Nonetheless, she is sacrificing time with her family and her friends and her church. She's giving up going to youth camp her senior year where she could be lording it over the seventh graders. Ellie would not do that. She's not like that. She actually reaches out to all kinds of people, younger, older. She will experience time where she misses us. She'll be sharing the gospel in a majority Muslim culture. She may suffer for that. Jacob and Kathy are sending her and they're choosing to suffer for the gospel. Thank you. Ellie is choosing to suffer for the gospel. Covenant of grace, God is calling us to choose to suffer for the gospel. Oh, it doesn't have to be all that grim, at least where we live. As easy as inviting a neighbor to a barbecue at your house or being intentional about engaging a friend with the gospel, praying for them, or, or having a casual conversation, or inviting someone to church and community group. There, there are ways that, that are not that hard, but yet nonetheless, it is hard. It is a form of suffering. It is a willingness to be rejected. It's a, it is a willingness to step outside your comfort zone and and it is a working your soul when God does that. Jesus is our example. He looked past the suffering to the joy. We read that. For the joy set before him, he despised the cross, the shame of the cross. We have a joy set before us. There's more rejoicing in heaven for one who repents than for 99, about how many people we have here today, who don't need to repent. The joy of participating in the gospel, seeing people saved in your family, in your community, in your workplace, in the city, around the world. God is calling us, coming to Grace Church. Let's embrace that suffering. Let's lean into that. Let's think about it. Let's strategize. How can God use us that way? Amen? I'm going to close by reading a poem called The Valley of Vision. It's a, uh, it's a Puritan poem. It's inspiration of a song. It was the inspiration for a song we're going to sing after I finish here. The poem uses the valley as a metaphor for suffering, where God deals with our sin. And it teaches we actually see the beauty of the exalted Lord perhaps best from the valley of difficulty, then from the high mountain of those exhilarating experiences. This is the poem, The Valley of Vision. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in the depths but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, 
That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells. And the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. Let's pray. Lord, you set the example for us that of suffering that we would follow it. Lord, we don't choose, we don't, we don't long for, to, for pain, but we long for you. We long to be like you. So Lord, help us embrace these seasons of our lives. Help us discern the work of the enemy and, and reject it, as we talked about last week. But Lord, let us Let us have our hearts cleansed. Open our eyes. Help us to see, Lord, not just the difficulty, but you in the midst of it. Strengthen us, Lord God. Help us to see you through all of our struggles. In Jesus' name, amen.